Hello and welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito and I'm joined, as always, by Shelly Mazzanomo. Not always. Not always. But no, you as- jinxed it. Oh, dang it. Now you're going to get Now I'm hit- not going to be here next Monday. <laughs> you're going to get hit by like a three buses. Or I'll be in Florida. You are going to be in Florida next week, aren't you? Wah, wah. Wah, wah. Yeah. Oh, man. But we'll always have today. We'll always have today yeah. and every day. Today is going to be a good day. Today I think, is a good day. Because we're going to be interviewing uh, Teos Ab- Abadia yes. and Claudio Pozas, uh, two folks uh, who have been gaming for a very long time, in uh, one in Brazil and one in Colombia. Amazing. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more. And plus, they're amazing creators in their own right in right. the D&D community. Right. Uh, you may know uh, Teos Abadia as Abadia, sorry, as Alpha Stream. Uh, he loves flumps. Uh, and all things uh, of that nature. Uh, very yes. prolific Adventurers League writer. And uh, uh, Claudio, you've seen him, his arc, his artwork in a lot of uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition stuff. That's right. Yeah. So we're yeah. excited about that. Very cool. What are you excited about? Well, aren't we uh, playing Teos' adventure? We are, in fact. Are we allowed to talk about that? Of course. Okay. We got it. Well, he, he won't spoil it. I He's hope. not going to spoil it. He's probably going to be like, Wait, that's as far as you've gotten? <laughs> you guys have been doing this it's for months. It's been three sessions, four uh, sessions so far. Yeah. We've had more. Yeah, but they're lunchtime ones, so we you know, we get like maybe about And we're not minutes. like I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> We're suboptimal. Is that what right you're trying to say? Now. We split up a lot. There was a lot of splitting up, which I was did so not he went yeah, the way that Nathan had done it was like Yeah. Here's what's happening to you two and that gets resolved and then like there was one day when I just sat and listened. I'm just like, to hear what's going not, on. I guess my character's not here. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I think, you know, a lot of that had to do with uh, 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 people going in and out from lunches, but then also um, uh, the, it's like, there's a lot of going on in that well, adventure. It's, yes. it's called the Adamantine Chef uh, Challenge. No, it's not Adamantine. Oh, I'm not going to get it wrong, and we're going to have to get Teos to make it actually clear. But that's the challenge that is happening. Is right. The, but it is. I think that is. the. Well, he'll tell us. He will tell us. He'll tell us. It's really good. And I want to know, though, how much Nathan is... I don't think he's really improving much. I think so. Well, I don't know. We'll see. You always have to improv. You guys basically try to screw up everything by, uh, not screw up everything, but go against script and splitting up the party from I the beginning. I don't try to split up the well, party. Well, there was, there was some things with the, with the, the oh, children. Oh, the kid, yeah. Yeah, and, was, and a bear trap, which I don't want to go was, into. That was Bart. <laughs> Teos would probably be horrified if he knew what we did to those poor children. Good thing he won't listen to this and we'll never know Good thing what, what we're going to tell him. We were never going to tell him the things that Bart Carroll did. That's awful. His character. There is a lot of fun stuff uh, that is going on in Dungeons & Dragons world, though I want to make sure everybody's aware of before we get to talking to these as well as uh, our awesome segment. Do you think I can do that? Yeah. All right. We're on time, dude. We're on time. We can make it happen. Uh, so, Mordekainen's Tome of Foes is probably the biggest thing you need to know about. It is coming out uh, everywhere on May 29th, uh, but it will be in hobby stores and or local game stores May 18th. And in your local game store, you can get the special edition cover by Vance Kelly, uh, which looks very awesome. Uh, And uh, make sure you tell your uh, local game store purchaser that you want one. Reserve it Uh, now. Not everybody has pre-orders and things like that, but make sure because uh, we heard from a lot that uh, it was harder to find the special editions for uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything as well as Volo's Guide to Monsters. So I don't if, mean to enjoy my water so much in front of you because I know you don't really have any I'm water. I'm actually pretty that. thirsty, and that was like, and you were like you're making me very parched drop, drop, drinking that. I'll be okay. Oh, maybe I'll create, really... I'll create some food and water in a second. Hold on. Mm. 
Okay, now I'm less parched. I'm ready to go now. Really? Did you just finish that off? Thank you for casting that spell and summoning the water within my bottle for me. I do it for you. Now I need one of those, like, ever, uh, you know, the... Oh, I forget the name of the magic item that always has uh, water in it for you. That would be awesome. Yeah. I need it. I need it now. Oh, thank Seriously? you. Seriously? Sweet! Uh, wow. So uh, wow. that's Pelham Green with the assist. Uh, he's that all the magic so item nice. I need in order to create water within he the bottle the for me. Magic item. That is good stuff. Pelham. Uh, so our friends Beam Dog uh, are uh, you know by the time you listen to this it will be out already. But Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition is available. It's pretty amazing. Uh, it is a uh, recreation and or uh, re- not, not a reimagining. It is just making sure that the, oh, that game uh, from the early 2000s is able to be used on modern hardware. Crazy. All of your old saves and mods will still work. The UI is all updated. Uh, I think uh, when we had Trent on here, he actually said it was going to be in 4K uh, availability. Uh, so you can actually play it in 4K if you like. Uh, which is super cool. Um, so our friends at Beamdog uh, have got a lot of fun stuff on their streams uh, from their channel, so go check them out for more information on what is happening there. But we're just excited that it's going to be in stores, uh, and uh, you should all be checking it out. And I'd love to hear from everyone about how it's, uh, how it's doing on your machines, if cool. that makes any sense. Um, Did you get a tattoo? Uh, yeah, it's a temporary tattoo that is now being wasted away. Uh, but it's been there for like two weeks. It's like got some staying power. It kind of looks like Annie Lennox. It, it, okay, we'll From go with that. Angle? It looks like Annie Lennox. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, sweet dreams are yeah. made of these. I don't judge. Uh, speaking of sweet dreams, uh, WizKids has Good a one. new uh, line of miniatures out there now. It is D and D icons of the realms, problem. monster Can I get menagerie. Some Monster Menagerie 3 is out there. Uh, There are 44 figures in there. Uh, Randomly sorted monsters and heroes come in each booster box. Uh, You can buy uh, bricks of those, and uh, each one of them has one large or huge figure, or three medium or small figures, and uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there, including the Naogi and the Slad, as well as the Asimar and the Triton, uh, new uh, player characters that you can use as of uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters. So that's, that's fun stuff. Cool. Um, and uh, I think there's also some of the giants from Storm King's Thunder are also available I think in this. I've seen some of those around the office. Yeah, and then there's the really cool pack in, uh, which uh, not everybody will have available, but it is a Kraken. What? For a pack in. Yeah. Leeson? So the way the pack-ins works, I don't know if you know this, but if you uh, if a store purchases a certain number of cartons, yeah. they get this extra item that they can also try to well, sell or keep or whatever. Who do they give that whatever. to? They, well, sometimes they give it to you know uh, loyal uh, customers, oh, or sometimes that's they cool. only um, one? they make it for sale. But it's only one. If, I think it's like first. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but you have to order a certain amount in order to get this pack-in. And the the, the kraken pack. It the kraken pack-in. The kraken pack-in. It's making it's not it. lacking. <laughs> <laughs> My lips are smacking. Uh, Also, an idol champions of the Forgotten Realms uh, has been going on for a long time. It's an idol game. You can uh, send your adventurers out on uh, uh, adventures and collect monsters, uh, uh, kill monsters, collect their loot, uh, and it's tons of fun. You can play it for a couple minutes or you can play it for hours. But I'm happy to say that Strix from Dice Camera Action, that's right, the character played by Holly Conrad, will be a playable character that you can recruit in Idle Champs of the Forgotten Realms. Oh, really? Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it'll be available by the time you're listening to this on the podcast form, but it is uh, quite awesome, and if not, you should jump in and see what you can do to get it. 
uh, get her as a champion. It's really great. And uh, there's a lot of fun personal touches to the items that you can get on there are actual items that she has made for the character uh, as her props, which are, I think are awesome. That's awesome, yeah. Um, D&D Beyond is, is, is kicking right along. It's the best way to kind of make your character in a digital way, I think. Uh, I definitely use it during our lunchtime uh, campaign. Yes, you do. You should jump into it. Uh, but they uh, want everybody to try to get the mobile app, which is available on iOS and Android right now, and uh, test out the compendium content that's available in there. The character builder is not yet quite added to that. But, but it, it will be. But it will be very soon, exactly. Um, but uh, it's got tons of great content, and uh, we love that uh, Todd Kenrick and his team of content creators, which includes some people we've talked to here on the podcast, yes. uh, such as James Hake and or uh, 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 Jameson Tricasco, and um, uh, Holly Connor is actually going to be writing a little bit for them as well. She is? Yeah. And Holly's uh, Guide to the Plains, I think it's called, or, mm-hmm. or something like that, uh, which is very fantastic. I think there's... Holly's un- doing a lot. I love this. I know. Exactly. She's she's blowing up. Yep. Uh, so yeah, go check out that from on D&D Beyond uh, and find out more. D&DBeyond.com is where all that, uh, that content is, including interviews with uh, some members of the D&D team. Well. Coming down the pipe. Cool. Cool. Um, lots of gun here today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Super secret? Super secret. We have no idea. Hmm. <laughs> What's going to possibly happen? Just saw him walking around with his camera. He's just taking videos down and uh, ripping them up and getting them out there onto the interwaves. Cool. That's what he does. Yeah. What's going on in your world, uh, Shelley? Well, we're just putting some finishing touches on two fantastic new board games coming out this year. They better be fantastic. Axis and Allies and Zombies. And, and Betrayal Legacy. Oh, my God. I have all the files on my desktop right now. Oh, my gosh. And like, I, they're I, just there. And are you playing with them? I want to. Yeah. It's hard because I don't want to spoil it, but I, it's like I have to because I actually have to read things. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to read it now. I don't want to know. But, oh. but I have such a bad memory that I will forget by That's November. That's the hard part of, of, uh, of working so, on something like that, right? And it looks beautiful, and it is beautiful. And Emmy just started on Access and Allies and Zombies this weekend and she was just like oh here's something I just threw together oh as far and as graphic course, design it's amazing oh, yeah it's so cool and I'm working on a new game <gasps> you're gonna spoil that here no you just did Thank it's you. exciting it's being play tested by someone very cool as well as uh, it being a <gasps> really awesome thing in general I swear I just saw a dragon I just saw a dragon that's right uh, well done. So that, that's all we'll spoil for, for that fun new I project. I couldn't keep it in any longer. You were, I, you, I was, I was going to mention it, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to. But have then, you played it? I have not yet. But I will soon. Oh, you you look so disappointed in me. <laughs> Even like, Sean Wood like, has oh, played it, and well, he doesn't play test I've been anything. a little busy. I've been a little busy. Well. I know. This is a fun diversion and a fun break. You're going to start doing the, uh, the key selling points of, of why it's a cool, fun game? No. No. All right. I'm going to stop because I'll just start talking about all of it. I know. You're like worse than Nathan. You're just uh, spoiling things oh, left and right. Nathan, don't spoil this. All right. Well, before to save you from this, I'm going to throw it to a segment. Let's do it. All right. Let's listen to a wonderful, amazing segment that's either lore or sage advice right about now. Okay. Bing bong. <laughs> Uh, hello, 
and welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know, where we delve into little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore and uh, find out what makes them tick and uh, how you could get them in your game, possibly. I'm Greg Tito, and I'm joined by... Chris Perkins. And Matt Cerner. Sorry, I just spit across the table. That's <laughs> just like a gift would. Uh, for today, we are going to talk about a human-hippo hybrid with a musket... Uh, <laughs> it's a blunderbuss. <laughs> Thank blunder you. Bus. Sorry. Uh, that's why you guys are here to correct me. Uh, the GIF. G-I-F-F. Mm. Yes. GIF, GIF, GIF. Not, pronounce, not pronounced GIF. Right. Uh, correct. It is definitely GIF. Definitely GIF. All right. Good to know. Uh, and that name's been around longer than the whole GIF-GIF argument, so yeah. we can't be held accountable. Before JPEGs were even a thing. That's right. That's <laughs> true. Uh, yes. So what, what are these GIF? Spacefaring hippo folk. Spacefaring hippo folk. Space yes. hippos. Space hippos. Hippos in space. Oh, um, this was totally a Muppets reference, wasn't it? Totally, yes. So there was this thing called Spelljammer. Yes. Um, this wonderful, glorious thing. <laughs> For those who don't know, um, it is one of the campaign settings that came out of... Fast. One of, one of the best, the best. <laughs> one of the are we, best are we campaign our, settings. Are we going to put our flag down on this? <laughs> it is simply the best campaign setting ever produced by TSR um, for the That's D&D canon. game. That's canon for And uh, it was basically D&D in space. Now, it's not like space helmets in 2001 kind of space. It's got its own D&D f- feel and flair. Um, but one of the things that it does have is a lot of its own weird monsters. It kind of took the stick an animal head on a human idea and went to all kinds of different planets with it. Yes, mm. yes. Very, very strange places. <laughs> so that's and, where you got and the GIF got traction, I think, largely because of the way that they were presented in art. Yeah. Um, I, and the way that they were presented in art and the way they're presented in art in Morton Kanan's Tome of Foes is a GIF dressed in what is essentially a military uniform. Yeah. Uh, carrying a big-ass Firearm. <laughs> uh, Don't forget the monocle. And, and very, very important, the monocle. The monocle. The that is uh, very important. It, it, it evokes like a little bit of like Mr. Monopoly yeah. feel to yeah. it. There, there, it was basically D&D going all camp. And I think that's part of the, the charm is you have these big hulking guys with guns and hippo heads running around pretending they're basically a militia. Yeah. And and so the the GIF were all over um, Spelljammer products. I mean, they just spelled. They appeared in pretty much everything. Uh, oddly enough, they didn't appear in Realm Space, but they did appear in Crin Space and Gray Space. I don't know why. Um, Crin, but, so just to, <laughs> to recap here, Realm Space is realm the space. area of so, like the solar yes. system around the Forgotten so Realms planets in of, Spelljammer. Of um, every solar system that has one of these important settings, like Forgotten Realms. Uh, is encased in what's called a crystal sphere. And then outside of that crystal sphere is what's called a phlogiston, phlogiston. And uh, that separates these crystal spheres. Um, So Kryn space is the space that Dragonlance is in. It's got its own solar system, its own planets besides Kryn. And gray space is Greyhawk. Realm space is, is the Forgotten Realms. And those were different products of... Uh, the Spelljammer line. Spelljammer line, yes. Got it. And th- that is where we learn that the face of the moon in the Forgotten Realms is a vast illusion, and it's actually populated by people. 
That's right, which we have discussed in many a lower segment <laughs> in the past. Uh, so who were the GIF? What, 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 what area were they in? So the GIF don't have a home planet in um, Spelljammer. What? They are, they are a wandering uh, race of mercenary hippo people who love war and fighting and explosions and gunpowder. Okay. Yeah. They've got their, their, their D&D's first ammo sexuals. <laughs> they're only attracted to I, ammunition I, I did not expect that and when it came out of your mouth I was like that is perfect that, that is divine if you learn one thing during yeah. this segment yeah. learn that because that's basically as Matt said they just love to shoot their guns and, and, and they love gunpowder and actually it's a, it's a thing for them one of the, one of the drives of them is when they run out of gunpowder, they've got to go find more, and oh. that's how that's sort of what pushes them along uh, their quest for more guns and more gunpowder. We yeah. can't be a good mercenary band yeah. unless we have guns right. and gunpowder. Right. So let's right. continue. And I'm not going to use it. <laughs> I got crazy. big hippo hands. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> barely worth the gun. I don't even know. And, and there is sort of a weird thing where where you know they they don't have wizards and uh, you know they they don't have other types of spellcasters and stuff like that. And so this is their thing. And it's just like a, it's almost like a, a sort of really goofy take on the Klingons, where <laughs> like oh. you know, there's an honor system. That there's they... an honor system. There's ranks. You know, they're a warrior culture and that kind of a thing, but with monocles and vests. Yeah, it, the, the artwork almost looks like they're uh, like uh, colonial Englishmen, uh, yes. tr- like constantly trying to to. to you know, be yeah. at war, and, and they don't really colonize things, though. They just they just work for for others, and right. and they. Uh, I mean, I think they they have some prohibition against fighting each other, but beyond that, they they just go out there and and try and um, earn more of the gunpowder or smoke powder or whatever you want to call it that they can use to make more guns to be more awesome. And are they solitary? Do they? Travel in herds? Do they travel in they, sh- herds they, of ships? Yeah, they basically travel in war bands, and the war bands um, crew help to crew other spelljammer vessels. Right, and within their band, they've got a military hierarchy. So, and the the main gift might call himself general, or he might call himself a colonel or a major or whatever he wants, and then there's a lineup of others behind him. Um, but being a warrior culture, the, the the one who's got the reputation for being the baddest mm-hmm. and the, uh, uh, you know, the most glory is the one who's kind of leading the way. Do they have their their, their own ships? Do they travel on their own or they're only on someone no. else's so, so time? One of the, the things time. about Spelljammer is that um, in order to Spelljam, in order to use these ships in space and travel around, you have to uh, be able to use a Spelljammer helm. And uh, the use of a Spelljammer helm requires you to be a spellcaster. I see. So and there has to be a any. pilot who yeah. can actually do the sailing around, and they don't have anybody who can do that. That's right. interesting that they, like, they're like they at the whims yeah. of, of, of other uh, folks who can master the arcana arts there. So that's why they became what they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yep. Uh, they, they pop up in the weirdest places. Um, so there's um, a... There was a, I should say because it's been 100 years or whatever, but in Skullport there was a, uh, a gift named the, the Brigadier who lived in a, or ran a pub named the Broadside. <laughs> so there's, there's that. Um, so beneath this, this, this city of Waterdeep there yeah. is a gift yeah. with his own bar. Uh, the there's a the mercenary company that's been popped up in a few products in Forgotten Realms called the Mindelgulfs. 
I don't know why they call that terrible name. But they have <laughs> Wemmick, Centaurs, Grif, Gif, Gip, Gripply, Kenku, Thrykreen, and other specialized what? monsters <laughs> in their mercenary company. <laughs> There's... <laughs> the first, so this isn't Forgotten Realms. This is this is the D and D first quest adventure book. Has a, clapped, a Captain Blotimus, who Blotimus <laughs> <laughs> the hippopotamus. Yes. Got it. Yes. Uh, and he is he is a NPC that you meet in that adventure. Um, and let's see, uh, gosh, there's the the Forgotten Realms novel Harper's Bane. No, Finder's Bane has. Uh, there was a gif who was basically the first mate of some ship, and they stripped off his skin and used him as a oh. figurehead until his far- heart finally let go. Good oh. lord. <laughs> Poor little gif guy. That's upsetting. I'm laughing because it's funny to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I used gif in a, in a dungeon adventure once. In Dungeon 74, the adventure called Scourge of Scalabar, where a submarine captain had two gif lieutenants oh, that makes sense. named Mr. Quee and Mr. Quegg. I recall that, yes. Were they related? Yes. <laughs> so, and then another weird place I found them popping up was uh, the Zakara campaign setting, which oh, I don't yeah, think we've talked right. about much. Um, but there's there's if one says, there's yeah. one that uh, popped up there that uh, was selling uh, wheel lock pistols to some right, uh, yeah. Zakarans. In... Nothing says Al Qadim like a <laughs> giant hippo man with wheel lock pistols <laughs> with, with a monocle. <laughs> uh, now, I mean. It, uh, how could these be used now in 5th edition? Like, how would you... I mean, obviously... This, Straight this, up no chaser. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw it in there. You know, yeah, as an they, NPC. They literally or... are... I think, I think the best way to use them is you're sitting in a tavern and suddenly the door gets kicked in and some <laughs> gif are there. Yeah. I did exactly that in my, <laughs> in my D&D campaign when I was in, in high school. And literally the players left the table. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they were like, what? <laughs> no. No. Hippos with guns. Get out of here. Yes. Yeah. I know there are there are some individuals who won't allow guns in their campaign, in which case GIF definitely feel out of place. Yeah. Um, but if, if your game can withstand uh, flintlocks, uh, then these guys are just a great surprise. And the fact that they're, they're mercenary, I believe, lawful neutral is their alignment. I think so. I'll double check. Means that even if they've been sent against you, right. they're That's not... Correct. You might be able to persuade them either through some honor, something to do with their honor or whatever, to to join your side instead. In which case, it never hurts to have a bunch of giant hippo man mercenaries in with, your back pocket with blunderbusses in your back pocket. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I was going to bring up the more of the good stuff. I was going to bring up the whole gunpowder and how you might introduce it into your campaign. Would this be a way to do that as well? If you, if uh, you yeah, were so inclined? absolutely. Um, particularly if like the gift bring it with them, then it's sort of coming at the campaign externally. You don't yeah. have to come up with an internal logic for why the gunpowder hasn't been around and affecting your society. Um, now, there different worlds have different rules when it comes to gunpowder. So um, Matt can talk a little bit about this, but Forgotten Realms has its own kind of magical gunpowder called smoke powder. Um, slightly different, functionally similar, but slightly different in terms of how it behaves yeah. in the world. Yeah, I mean it's it's a weird sort of um, wrinkle in Forgotten Realms canon where uh, it's had both gunpowder and smoke powder. But the the idea behind smoke powder was um, that you know you can't just mix up. Gunpowder. It's not an alchemical thing. Yeah, it's a magical. Just, substance. It's, it's a magical right. substance that you have to create, and so that, that, you know it's, it's still something that, that's the purview of people who are like wizards and so on. And uh, another weird thing about smoke powder was that um, just uh, agitation and contact with air could set it alight. 
So, um, you know, if you open up that um, you know, barrel of smoke powder or shake and it like shake it around, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, then it, then it might explode as opposed to norm- normally gunpowder is pretty inert if you don't. Yeah, if you typically introduce a flame to it or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Um, there's also, I, mean, I don't know, I just thought of this, but it would be really, if you didn't want to have gunpowder or smoke powder in your campaign, it's a gif that is, is stranded and is out of it. Uh, what is that? What is that? Character do. Oh, okay. he must be so sad. Must be so sad, right? <laughs> Poor guy. Monocle just covered in tears. <laughs> he can't stay there because it just keeps falling out from all the tears. Yeah. No gif actually needs the monocle, by the way. <laughs> it's just an affectation. Yeah, it's total affectation. Yeah. Uh, great. Well, I can't wait for more people to get a look at this art uh, as well as the uh, monster stat block for it. That's in Morning Kanan's uh, Tome of Foes. Uh, definitely is fun. Uh, you can tell just from looking at the art, it feels like a, uh, a Babar character uh, uh, would fit right in with the children's kind of uh, mm-hmm. fanciful uh, story, and I think that's, yeah. that's part of its charm. Just imagine Babar with guns, and you're good. Yeah, pretty much. All the characters <laughs> in there. Yeah. There, probably, there is like a hippo in, in there somewhere, right? In, in Babar, so it, we're, we're halfway there. Uh, cool. Any other uh, uh, tidbits about the GIF you want to throw out there? All right, how can people get in touch with you to ask you exhaustive questions about GIF and where they come from? Uh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've told you all I know. Uh, I can be reached at Chris Perkins DND on Twitter. I am also on Twitter at, at Cernet, S-E-R-N-E-T-T. Awesome. Great. Well, can't wait for all this to come out, as I said, with Morning Canyon's Tome of Foes, May 29th, everywhere, but in game stores May 18th. Look for it then. Thanks, guys. That was a really good segment. Uh, <laughs> One of my favorite segments. I feel like I learned a lot about uh, Morning Canaan's Tome of Foes oh. uh, and or uh, uh, something that will pertain to that. Yes. Don't you? Probably. Yeah, I think so too. I do. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, but I think without uh, uh, talking about it too much uh, and making up things that we don't know what we li- we're listening to, maybe we should just go right to and call up our, our interview yes. folks. What do you think about that? Yes. All right. Let's do it. Let's call them up. Okay. Hey, what's going up, guys? <laughs> oh, oh, you got, <laughs> how are you? Uh, so, again, we have uh, Claudio uh, Pozas and uh, Teos Abadia. Which I, I'm so glad I was able to uh, practice that three times before actually getting to say it to your face. <laughs> such, good, such good names, both of you. They're just good names. It's true. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Claudio, you're calling from Brazil, is that right? Yes. What's, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Ooh, oh, fun. Do you have a good view out your window? Can we see? I've never um, been to Brazil. If you want to see my parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best, most Brazilian parking yep. lot available. Yep, that's exactly how I pictured it. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Claudio, tell us a little bit about uh, the work you've done for 5th edition uh, so far. Jeez. Um, Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master Guide. Um, Out of the Abyss, Sword Coast Adventures Guide, um, Xenothar's Guide to Everything. You did all the work for all of those books? Uh, every uh, not page. all of the work. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah, but you had pieces, you had art pieces in each yes, one of those. Uh, for the player's handbook, I'll just stick to the... to the. Oh, you don't have to get into the specifics, but just the fact that you did artwork yeah, for each one I of did, those. For the player's handbook, I did the Insect Plague, which uh-huh. is the Elf Druid blowing... Bees at the viewer, the cloud kill spell, the great wheel diagram of the planes. Oh no way! That was you too. 
Yes. And but I did it in color. It came out on the book in sepia. Mm. You can go to my website and you can see it in color. Ooh. Oh. I like it in color. And buy a print. Uh, <laughs> and in the Dungeon Master Guide, I did the Feywild, the picture of the Feywild. Oh, cool. Nice. They're everywhere. Uh, so you're. I don't, you're I, I, I don't know what I can say about what I did for more than Kynans. You have to ask people around you. That's. I, give me a green light. I think you, I think you have all the green lights. Uh, yeah, but we'll get to that in a, in a little bit. Uh, so Teos, uh, tell us about what you what you've been doing uh, most recently here for, for for Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. So first, I have to say, Claudio, that I absolutely love Insect Plague. That's one of my favorite pieces of art. That's just. I love the the way the insects swarm around that caster. That's amazing. And also your demogorgon Thanks, is just man. superb. Um, so plan. what I've done uh, is, is particularly writing a lot of adventures. And the most recent ones I've done that folks are probably aware of are the D&D Open, the previous two years, not this year, but the last two years, uh, writing uh, an epic for the D&D Adventures League. Oh. Uh, adventures like the Artifact and... Uh, uh, you were talking about Adamantine Chef, so I've got my own adventures on the guild. And my current project that's really awesome is writing an adventure series for Dwarven Forge as part of their last Kickstarter. Oh, and then nice. I've got a super secret project that I can't wait till it's announced, but I can't yet. <laughs> but it's a fun super secret project. Uh, we're we're full of secrets here no, on the podcast today. No, it's different than my super secret project. I know, it's right? Amazing. We've each got something secret. We're all keeping secrets from each other. Is it safe? Too many secrets. <laughs> See, take astronomy. Uh, so, uh, awesome. So, you guys are, like, coming at this from, from almost, like, two different angles, where, uh, Teos, you're writing the, the words and the adventure, and uh, Claudio, you are uh, providing the, the visuals and the artwork. Uh, but we had you guys on this podcast together, because you're both... Uh, grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons in an area not in the continental United States. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's always interesting for us to talk about. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Teos, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was like uh, playing D&D in Colombia? Sure. So I uh, was born in the States, but uh, when I was two years old, I moved to Cali, Colombia. And in Colombia, uh, I went to school, and around the age of 11, my mom actually realized that I was not fitting in with kids. Oh. And she said, you know what? And it was totally true. I mean, I was really struggling trying to find friends. And, uh, and she said, you know, there's this group of older kids, and they're playing this game, and I think you'd really dig it. And it's called Dungeons and Dragons. So it's the reverse of satanic, satanic uh, yeah. panic. Yeah. Uh, and she said, you know, I think it would be awesome. And it seems like it's a really kind of smart game, and there's a lot of reading involved. I think you'll like it. And so I started playing with these older kids, and it was just terrific. And then those became really fast friends. And then actually my mom, a second time when we were in the States, uh, later on around high school age, um, she found another group that were act was actually in her class because she was an English teacher. And she mm -hmm. said, you know, this is another group of really cool kids, and you should hang out with them and play D&D. Uh, so I did that, too, and they've been lifelong friends. So um, Really? Yeah, and then I would also, when I was in Columbia, I would also run all kinds of games for the neighborhood which were a lot called kind of more crazier games where you bring in all kinds of influences. So what was it about D&D that your mom knew it would appeal to you? Like why is uh, she, she so pro progressive for like how did she know? Yeah. Well, my mom's the kind of person who sees a banned book and immediately wants to teach it. 
because that's got to be interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, and I my like dad's her. that way too. My dad's an artist, uh, and and so both of them were into were were very much unafraid of something that might be controversial. Um, and they were very much hippies in the '70s. So the idea of something that's that's interesting and fantastic and creative was perfect for uh, two teachers that were my parents. Um, yeah. That's cool. Was the satanic panic a thing in Colombia? Uh, not particularly, no. I, I don't recall anyone being worried about that aspect. But the hardest thing was that there were no products, uh, at least where I was. So anything came from the States, and it was very hard to get a hold of it. So whatever you, you know, if you were able to travel to the States or you knew someone who did, you would get some product, and it was like a precious gem brought back. <sighs> And, you know, it's all in cellophane wrappers at some toy store. So you just you, you grab it and just hope that whatever yep. you just use your few dollars on is really going to provide a ton of fun when you get back home. And you would mash whatever you got together, regardless of what edition it was from, and just play away. That's how we feel about Kinder Eggs. <laughs> Whenever anybody leaves the country, like, bring me back them, all the Kinder Eggs. Buy as many as you can. Get them. Not the Kinder Joys. Those are... We can get them now, but they're not as good. They're not as good, yeah, yeah. exactly. You need the little capsule. <laughs> but yeah, if, if you had seen my neighborhood uh, game, you would probably have seen um, Star Wars action figures, uh, pieces of castles from who knows what age that we you know, got from someone's basement. Uh, books, actually, I remember physical books that you weren't using at the time would become dungeon walls. So to make these models out of them. Nice. Use whatever rules we cobbled together to play through them. That sounds fun. It was. It was great. Yeah, like a real hodgepodge of like, oh, let's just, it forces you to be creative that way. Yeah. And so D&D. And &D. the same way with. Sorry, go on. No, just the same way with media influences. Uh, in Colombia, when I was a kid in the, in the early 80s, uh, it was, um, you never knew what you would get um, through kind of, like I say on TV, we wouldn't get a, a U.S. TV show at the same time as folks in the U.S. would. And so these influences were often all of a sudden would come in, like just seasons would unleash. Or you'd go to your local video store, which would be folks who went to the U.S. and recorded HBO. And you would get a, you know, Betamax tape uh, or VHS tape that someone had recorded while on vacation in the U.S. And you would watch those shows or movies that had been pirated. And so we would watch, you know, the D&D cartoon, we would watch Kroll and Beastmaster, Goonies, and just soak up those influences all of a sudden, right? They just come out of nowhere. Oh, my God, that's so cool. So, Claudia, what about uh, you? And Were you always in Rio, or did you grow up uh, uh, somewhere else? No, I was always in Rio. Um, I, uh, the D&D cartoon was already really huge here, and around starting 1984. 1985 which is a bit after uh, airing the US mm -hmm. but it had a different name here it wasn't titled Dungeons and Dragons it was Dragon's Cave the mm. huh. master was the master of mages uh, everything had different names because it was translated so in 1987 I saw a kid in recess with this gorgeous looking book which now I know is the the AD&D first edition book with the, the Jeff Easley cover. And uh, I asked him what that was. And he said, you know that cartoon, Dragon's Cave? This is, it was inspired by this. And so I, I immediately 
agreed to go to the, his place after school to see the other books he had and all that that he inherited from his cousin who went to college in the US so his cousin after college gave his books to this kid and then uh, it kind of spread the, the, the hobby a little bit it was like a, a temporary hobby for uh, the, the original players in Brazil and then they pass those on and through Xeroxed cop, uh, copies of the books or we got whatever we could get our hands on. I, I, I started playing in 87 and the first time I bought my books was in 1990 mm -hmm. when I traveled to the US. Of course, by then it was second edition. Were you, uh, so yeah, did, so how, how, did, how was the play experience like? What, what was it, uh, uh, you know, were you the dungeon master? Did you, did you have to recruit players? How did it work? Um, I started playing, and our dungeon master was really adversarial because he had a DMPC. A DMPC? Yes. He had his own and character then, in the game? Yes. How does that And then he would ask, oh, let me see your sheet. I didn't know you had these many gems. And then uh, the NPC showed up with an army and then took all of our gems and stuff <gasps> like that and moved on. <laughs> After what a while, I, I decided to, to try DMing. Yeah. And the first adventure I DMed was the Temple of Elemental Evil. Oh. That's so always a good I one to start with. <laughs> into the deep end with both feet. And yeah. We didn't know the rules that well because it was in English and we were all learning so we thought clerics had to you know have spell books we thought that humans could multi-class and all kinds of crazy stuff there was one player who kept dying in the game and uh, uh, he just brought along a, a new twin of that of the character so by <laughs> the end of the adventure I think it was Quadruplets. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> that was nice of you to let that happen. Yeah. Keeping the but keeping the was, adventure going. It was just the four of us, so three players and one DM. So we needed all the characters we could get. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially did. since a lot of those early adventures were made for like eleven party members to be in at the same time. Yeah, with one character and his four henchmen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that seems really fun. Now, now did you continue to uh, Dungeon Master after that, Claudio? Yes, I, I, I played uh, nonstop until like two years ago when most of my gaming group uh, uh, traveled everywhere else in the world or in mm. Brazil. It's like out of eight of us, only three live in, in Rio right now. There are people living in Vancouver and the Amazon and all that. So it's kind of hard to get a game going. But I've played, I've DM'd first edition, second edition, third edition, 3.5, fourth edition, fifth edition. Wow. With wow. other RPGs sprinkled in, but let's not talk about them. <laughs> That's a pretty good pedigree, though, having yeah. all that uh, uh, experience. What uh, what do you think about uh, how fifth handles? Because we've heard from a lot of folks that it kind of pulls in the best of each ones of those editions. Uh, yeah, I guess you would be a good judge of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's actually a good uh, an accurate description of fifth edition 
because you can see stuff from every single edition in 5e. So you can see the progression from, oh, every character has, has his own XP table to every character has uh, the same XP table and then every character has the same uh, attack bonus, proficiency bonus added, half level at 4th edition and now the, the proficiency bonus in 5e. Yeah. So it's it's like a, a, a you can draw a through line from ODND to fifth edition and find pretty much everything from from all editions in in the game right now. So you can make Five E play the way you want it to play. If you are a fan of ODND or first edition, you can just play with the basic most basic rules and use instead of using skills you can use the rules in the dmg to give characters benefits and skills based on sure barbarian skills based on strength and dexterity if you're a, a wizard skills play uh, in intelligence and if you're a fan of fourth edition you can choose like the battle master fighter the warlock and build a game that resembles fourth edition yeah so uh, there are people that say, oh, 5th edition is much better than 4E. It's much better than 3E because they like different things from D&D. But in fact, you can make 5th edition play the way you want it to play. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really good insight because, you know, there was previous editions. You kind of had to go one way uh, or, or, you know, you were working against the mechanics. And 5th edition makes you uh, able to play whatever style works best for your table. Has that been your experience uh, too, Teos? Yeah, in fact, thinking about that, one of the things I love, Claudio, is how I can, in my home campaign, and I'm running Tomb of Annihilation, I can have a session where I do a bunch of really quick fights that feel like AD&D or 2E, and then I'll go and I'll do, do this huge set-piece fight that feels like a big 4th edition knockout fight with terrain and all kinds of cool effects that you have to turn down with skill checks and things like that and use tons of minis for that. And that variety and flexibility that 5e brings is really impressive. Yeah. So do you two know each other? <laughs> have you ever met? Because you've been at conventions and all. Have your paths ever crossed? I don't think we have. We've met like 10 minutes ago. Oh, that's it? <laughs> here on yeah, the Skype? We bring people together on, here on the Dragon Tower podcast. I feel like you guys would, would really like each other. Claudio, you should play some of Teos' adventures. Because they're really good. Yes, I should, I, I should I'm play looking at your art all the time. Yes, there you go. Um, he stares at your art for inspiration. I added know, that. One Thank of the you. nice things about <laughs> Brazil, I mean, I always think about Brazil positively, not just because I've been there and it's an awesome country, but um, because of the the community there. They really have a lot of role players, and they're active uh, online a lot, and have been for a long time, even before. Twitter was a big deal or, or any of these kinds of sites. They would be you know, on the Wizards of the Coast forums back when those existed. They'd be on other communities. Um, they helped write Adventures League uh, adventures. There was a region that was where the admins were all from, uh, or not Adventures League, but Living Forgotten Realms, the previous organized play campaign. Right. There was a, an area there you know, from Brazil. And so that community in Brazil has always been really active, which is nice. They love their yeah, games. People are being really passionate about gaming here. The, People that game are really passionate about it. So uh, back in the, the late 80s, early 90s, it was like every game 
every gaming group was like living in a in the badlands in the desert because you didn't know anyone else who was playing and then you met one guy who also played that wasn't part of your group and then both groups would merge into a giant you know 16 people gaming group and trading people back and forth and all that but now it's great because we are starting to have conventions and stuff and uh, it's it's a really a golden age for role-playing games and for D&D in Brazil. So I've always heard that about Brazil is how much how much games are part of the culture and how they just love games and ga they're so passionate. Everyone's so passionate about gaming. But what I mean, it sounds like that is true. But what do you think that is credited to? Um, I think I think I don't know. It's in the Brazilian psyche to like try to find something to belong. Mm -hmm. it, it could be your soccer team, or it could be, I don't know, uh, your your street, your city block, stuff like that. Um, it sometimes it can go in a negative way towards tribalism. So people who like a D and D in the in the nineties didn't like the people who played GURPS or played Vampire, stuff like that. The, the games were like separate. Yeah. And people kind of looked down on each other. But when you get past that, you look at it in a positive way, you recognize that uh, uh, most people I, I see in Brazil try to bring some passion into whatever they do. So if the person is into role-playing games, they will talk about role-playing games a lot, and they will talk about adventures, and they'll be passionate about the characters or the adventures they, they, they've been in. They'll go to conventions. And uh, I hope that uh, this, this culture continues to grow in Brazil so we can all you know, have like events every week, and like you guys have in the U.S., you have... The, convention season mm -hmm. with yeah. convention every weekend and stuff like that that I know you guys must love going to everything <laughs> every one of them for like six months in a row it gets very exhausting but you know but, uh, that I a, hope that that develops uh, here somewhere that's a good point around that that community uh, or the acceptance of games and wanting to come together when I grew up in in uh, Colombia one of the things I recall seeing all the time was people who would be on a street, especially older folks who would be on a street just playing in a side table, uh, whatever it might be, Parcheesi, some other board game, just uh, you know, backgammon, games like that out in public was something you'd see all the time. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that, that game role-playing games can have such a, can catch on so quickly. In Latin America, I didn't really. I I wonder. Yeah, that's very interesting about Colombia. You never really think that's part of the the culture that there would be that kind of public gameplay. You know, and yeah. I, I wonder if now they're like playing Catan or you know some other more you know right. more intensive board. I mean, yeah. they got Axis and Allies kind of all. Yeah, <laughs> and hopefully they're not just on their phones. Right, <laughs> the scourge of all our young generations. Yeah, wherever we are. Uh, do you, I wonder if people will start doing that now, like playing Dungeons and Dragons out in the open a little bit more. Uh, you know, I, I was—I think I told you about this last time we were talking about. I was out in, in what would normally be a, a, a regular bar 
uh, on a Tuesday night uh, here in Seattle, and it was just playing during the Dragons right in the middle of it. It wasn't even like it was we were off to the side. It was just like, oh, yeah, here we are. This is us. There's no shame in your game. No shame. I didn't bring any shame. <laughs> well, whenever I've traveled, it's, it's not been hard for me to find games. Uh, when I travel internationally, I, I sadly don't travel to Latin America that often, but I do travel to Europe from time to time for work. And I've been impressed about how when I get a group together, it tends to be an international group of sort of expats who are in whatever country I'm in. So I was in, last time I was in Belgium, and I think one person was from Korea, one person was from Portugal. I mean, it's just, you know, from all over the place. Right? You can just bring people together like that in a gaming store. See? That is cool. It is like a, people together. It's a shared language. I mean, so when you were in uh, uh, Colombia, were you speaking uh, Spanish when you were playing? Yeah, well, both, because I went to an international school, um, and people there were from all over the place. Uh, I think the people were had a uh, Dutch group of brothers that played, uh, half Chinese, half Mexican, I think, were two of the other brothers. That was the dungeon master. So folks from all over the place. And my neighborhood was all folks from Colombia. So with the neighborhood group, it was always in Spanish, 100%. Uh, at school, it would be probably 50-50. We'd probably just mix and match. Wow. But you know what really helps uh, is... Uh, the, the great art that's starting to come out in 5th edition that shows so much uh, diversity in the different folks. Like um, Volo's Guide has, and, and, and I know we're not, they're podcast listeners, but if you turn to page 5, there's this uh, awesome art. Yeah. And, and it's a great scene, but if you look at the characters depicted there, right? Like when I see things like that, I go, yeah, okay. I know that the folks back that I grew up with would look at this and go, okay. You know, this is a game that any of us can play. And that makes a big difference. Yeah. Do you find that, Claudio, when uh, uh, we're, you're, you're creating some of this art, that it, it feels very much like you could, you know, paint uh, uh, characters like yourself in there? Um, not exactly myself, <laughs> but um, I've tried to sneak in. From the very first third-party third uh, D20 products I started working on, Yeah, I tried this is like 2001 2002 i started adding you know a bit more diversity than was commonplace in in most fantasy art so trying to add people of different skin colors people with where their clothing is inspired by different types of of cultures and different types of weather because one thing that's really easy to overlook is how much the weather influences what people wear. Mm. For instance, uh, in Eberron, the city of Sharn, it is actually in a tropical zone. And all images of people in Sharn show them wearing, you know, so much stuff that they would be sweating to death <laughs> in the city of Towers. Yeah. So uh, um, that kind of... of uh, living in a, a different environment inures uh, uh, in me some sort of uh, uh, awareness of what's the weather like where these people are adventuring, you know? Definitely something so to keep I, in mind. I try to, to put that in, the, in the, my art. Sometimes it doesn't show, but... But it's important, to, yeah, right, to just have it there so mm -hmm. you know that, you know, once the next time you uh, look through this, that you're like, okay, well, this makes sense given the location and the setting and, and what they're doing. Um, but, uh, all right, so 
I wanted to talk to you more about what you were doing for for Morden Cannons. I feel like you can talk a little bit uh, uh, about what uh, what pieces of art people might see in there from you. Uh, yes, yes, I can. If you're telling me to to, to talk, I'll sure. Talk. This is the time when we want to hype it up, right? So uh, spill uh, the beans. Yeah. I so, uh, first, first of all, uh, a shout out to Kate Irwin, the art director for D and D, and for uh, Amy and Richard Witters who are also part of the D&D art team yeah. because they are awesome. And so... Um, Thanks for I, that. They'll, they'll appreciate that for sure. I know yep. Kate it works uh, a lot with, uh, with artists on, on developing uh, the, the right image. So that's, that's perfect. Thanks for um, that. No problem. My pleasure. Um, I did uh, a cup. I did Jerion, who was already previewed in the website and uh, Dragon Plus. Uh-huh. And he was the only devil I worked on. But as far as the blood war goes, I'm playing all sides of the war. Because I did I did Jerion who was uh, who's a, a devil. I did a couple of demons and I did a Yugolov. Mm. Um a named one or I... just a, a a version of a Yugolov? Um I did uh, what's the name of that thing? A Yugoloth that has like five arms and three legs and spins around like a barrel. Oh, okay, that one. Okay, that one. <laughs> I can I can tell you the name right now because I have that thing open in a different. In a different <laughs> uh, were you were you mostly screen. focused on devils and demons then for this one? Yes, uh, I did a couple of scenes, but uh, oh, it's a Dergoloth. 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 Uh, the Don't demons you I dare. Did, Go lost. Uh, Once you go lost, you never go back. <laughs> Nor should you. So uh, uh, for the demons, I did the alkylith, which is like a demon fungus that opens a window. Mm. Oh, oh. A planar portal. And I did the nabasu, which is uh, a demon that actually goes all the way back to first edition. So... When, when Kate sends these kinds of assignments my way of existing creatures, I, uh, I always try to research what was done before mm-hmm. so I can try to incorporate the D&D legacy in the art. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So uh, it helps that I have most of the books that I have to you know, uh, research on. And... Uh, and I'm sure uh, Kate told me that she appreciates the kind of extra thought that goes into making these monsters look like the way the monsters have looked in the past. Yeah, a little bit of the legacy there. Yeah, that makes sense. We did that a lot for Out of the Abyss, especially when it was like, here are the old demon lords and how they were depicted, and then how this will bring them forward without, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, ruining I, what they were before. Yeah, for Abyss, I had to do Demogorgon and uh, what's his name, the... The demon with the nose. Yeah, uh, um, y- 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 Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I was like it starts with a Y. I got that far. <laughs> and uh, I did a couple of scenes with uh, depicting the Dwerger, a, a, a scene during Dwerger history, and a picture of a gnome that I posed for. That really <laughs> you used what? yourself as a model. I have I have to use reference as much as I can. Yeah. To get uh, you know reflections and, and 
the folds of clothing. So, yeah, I put a backpack, I crouched, killed my knees crouching and all that. <laughs> but uh, that gnome is kind of me. Oh, I, I guess I, just, I, I made it. I made the, the, the gnome slimmer because otherwise the belly would go right over the belt. <laughs> but, uh, so, you, so you made yourself look, look better, is that what you're trying to say, by turning yourself into a gnome? I would. Better, blonde, yeah. Younger. <laughs> That's cool. So, I mean, I was trying to find a through line to what uh, what kind of art you do, because I know Kate has people who are like, you know, good at faces or people who are good at scenes or people who are, you know, good at you're uh, just good at everything. Right. But it sounds like, or you know, ones that are better at monsters or something like that. But it sounds like you've got the, uh, you know, uh, jack of all Uh, trades here. uh, Kate tends to send me stuff that needs research. Oh, okay. Uh, She sent me uh, stuff that, you know, have to look according to what it was in the past or if if there hasn't been a, a, a new design made by the concept artists like by Richard or someone else mm-hmm. um, she sent me stuff that if I have to make it up it will still uh, be resonant with the history of D&D. Makes That's sense. what happened with Jerrion because Jerrion had a couple of different looks throughout the history of D&D and I tried to bring him back to his original appearance in the first edition Monster Manual. Very cool stuff. Now, uh, uh, speaking of history, uh, Teos, you like the flump. Who <laughs> is doesn't? That, is, that, is that putting an understatement on it? <laughs> no, I'm a flump advocate. <laughs> You're pro-flump. I'm pro-flump. Uh, so where did, where did that start with Was that from when you played back in the day and have you always loved them or, or has it grown of recent time? Uh, so I, I always enjoyed the Fiend Folio monsters, which is where the flump uh, originated. And there, there are a lot of really wacky, bizarre monsters in there. Um, but it, it actually happened when I kind of made a metal, mental connection of how the flump is a bit like gamers. Mm. Uh, and, and maybe less so now because gaming oh. is getting hip again. But oh, look at what gamers, gamers were thought of sort of as, as a bit silly and it's underappreciated. So cool. Can they and see so I other? thought that, you know, oh, sweet. Oh. <laughs> and then now he can, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so very nice, Claudio. So I, I thought that gamers and flumps had a lot of similarities of being somebody that might be picked upon, unappreciated, oh. when actually they're lawful good and fantastic. Um, and so as I would talk online, I would sort of make this parallel and kind of say, hey, you know, why not let's champion the little guy? And that's really how it became, not just because I loved them as a monster, but just that, that idea. And then as fifth edition was being worked on, I ended up having a couple of conversations with various uh, designers just by, by fortune at, at Gen Con and kind of advocated for the flump. And, Later, I was told that maybe why that ended up happening, that it ended up included. It was just that kind of idea. That, oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. see, you, did, for us. you championed for the little guy. I think your next project should be a children's book. <laughs> the Lonely Flump. The Lonely the Flump. The Lonely Little Flump. <laughs> Who has to fart to get anywhere. <laughs> oh, that's why the other kids together. pick on them. <laughs> All right, Shelly, we'll, we'll write it together. Okay, I love it. <laughs> that Confessions is... of a Lonely Flump. And Claudia, will you illustrate it for us? You know it. All right. <laughs> I love I love flumps too. Whenever I started I, I, learning more about them, I used them as a 
I think it was the basis of my uh, extra life adventure during Out of the Abyss they time was trying to figure out how flumps and adventurers could work together uh, uh, to, to I mean, I, God, this really combines all this conversation, but they were basically trying to use Yinogo as a distraction for uh, the uh, Orcus who is doing stuff with the Mind Flayers. Yeah, it had a whole backstory, but it basically ended up being like a whole... Uh, Geodesic dome of fluffs that are were all together that the that the player characters were traveling so they could basically fly uh, before they had the power to fly, <laughs> <laughs> and they were all singing a song I think at the same time. Oh, yeah, come on. psychically write this. It, I, I, it, I I have notes for it. I didn't actually write come it out on. as a real put adventure. It in the adventure. I'll put it in the Dungeon Master's yeah, Guild. Yeah. and then Taste would be like, "No, damn you, Tito." I love all flump and flippers. Yeah, flump it. resurgence. <laughs> all right, that makes sense. Ooh, we got another one. <laughs> 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 all right, good stuff. Tails, we'll see that in about 10 seconds. <laughs> 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 yeah, I like it. Good stuff. That's adorable. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, what, what do we have coming down the pipe from you guys other than, uh, uh, you know, the, all the art from uh, Morning Canons as well as uh, as your, your super secret project, Tess? Yep. Uh, God, yeah, I guess I can't really have you guys tease out a little bit more, can I? Well, the stuff for the summer conventions you're working on for Adventurers League play? Uh, I'm not currently. I'm, uh, my current project is working on... Um, uh, the uh, the Dwarven Forge series oh, of right, adventures. Right. Um, those are all using 5th edition. Um, and so that's really very fun. And that has been an, an interesting task because you take all this cool terrain and you try to express it into the game. And so it's been really very creative, to, a creative challenge to try to make all of these pieces sort of worth it for the person who, who went after this cool 3D mm-hmm. terrain. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. I'm almost done with it. And then it's the super secret project. So I do not currently have any organized play work on my plate, but I'm sure that'll change at some point, and I'll look forward to that. Sweet. I always and love contributing to organized play. I know, and I, I mean, I want to pick your brain more about epics. That's and, what I was going to ask and about. Stuff, How but on earth you write an epic? Yeah, I don't know. Building them is a ton of fun. I remember Shelley seeing you at the first epic we did for Adventures League. So I cool. All these tables come together and the banners in the hall. It's, it's yeah. Just a, I, I love multi-table events like There's, that. Yeah, I loved that. That was a really cool experience. I didn't play a thing, but just watching it was just it was just as entertaining. So that was cool. Good stuff. And I can't imagine writing that. Claudia, what about you? Uh, when you what, what are you working on next? Um, uh, I did art for whatever is coming out of out after Morden Canyon. So I know what's, what's that called what? again? <laughs> 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 I know what's coming. Um, but uh, I'm actually I have art in a couple of Kickstarters that are running right now. Um, one is a Japanese steampunk noir adventure called Imperial Matchmaker for the Mists of Akuma setting. Oh neat! And I did art for the Tiny Dragons art book collection that John Shindahedi. Uh, put together uh, it's uh, three books that are going to be dedicated to the memory of William O'Connor which was a legendary dragon artist that did awesome work for D&D he was the lead artist for fourth edition yeah and so I have these two kickstarters going on right now that's awesome and then and then afterwards whatever is coming after Morden Canaan 
And then whatever mm-hmm. comes after that. And then whatever comes <laughs> oh, after hopefully. that. I don't know. I, I, I haven't heard about that yet. I can't imagine. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah. Kate, Kate hasn't, Kate. hasn't talked to you about that yet, but uh, probably will be soon. Probably. Uh, but yeah, just we were really, guess. I mean, just to touch, we were really sad to learn about William O'Connor and his passing. That was, that was awful. And uh, uh, it's really awesome that the community is coming together to try to put together uh, a Kickstarter like that. He, he, I was talking to uh, uh, Kate and, and, and Chris Perkins here in the office, and he was very instrumental in how uh, Dragonborn became uh, visualized, uh, especially in fourth edition. So uh, we, owe, we owe a lot to him for that. Um, can I say just a, a short story about Bill? Sure. Uh, so in 2016, I won uh, an art spotlight award at the Gen Con mm-hmm. for a piece I did for myself, for my portfolio of Elspeth for, for Magic the Gathering. And I was completely floored when my name got called up because I was already kind of tipsy. <laughs> and I wasn't expecting to win anything. And after I, I got back from receiving the award and people were congratulating me, Bill came to me, hey, Claudio, it's Bill O'Connor. And it took me a, a while to register that because I wasn't expecting like William O'Connor to come to me to present himself, to introduce himself. And I was already, you know, a bit over the edge. <laughs> uh, don't drink kids uh, stay in school <laughs> and he was such a, a great guy because even though he was one of the most accomplished artists in our field he would take the time to come and meet you and make you feel like you know you're a part of the group Yeah. and uh, he's going to be sorely missed at this year's Gen Con yeah, yeah. for sure well, that's that's amazing. I'm glad that he uh, you at least had that experience, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, it's 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 really telling about how that artist community is so about lifting each other up. I, mm-hmm. I feel about you know uh, seeing and recognizing good work, and then not even realizing that that's the person behind the artwork that you see. We we uh, work alone in our studios. Yeah, all of, throughout the year, we talk to our our directors and get feedback from them, but. We don't get, we don't have much in the way of coworkers. So when there's a convention and people are there together, it's like, you know, one year's worth of camaraderie, having to, you know, break the levy and 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 just pour around the the art tribe as we call it. Yeah. Because we have so much catching up to do, and we're so happy to, you know, be with all these people who. Uh, pass uh, through the same stuff that we are going through. So uh, the art community is, is really tight, tightly knit because of that. Cool. Just like the uh, adventure writing community, right, right <laughs> Well, it, it is. I mean, and, and I was thinking, you know, listening to what Claudia is saying, I'm thinking about how great this hobby is, that the creators in it, whether it's visual or, or written, uh, or the people who arrange things, right? I mean, just uh, it, they're, they're just such fantastic people, and, and a loss of any one of them is just a blow to us all who've had the opportunity to either see the work, or especially if we've worked with them. Um, you know, if I ever want to get depressed, I just think about someone that I've worked with, and, and that you know, someday they might come to an end because it's just the things they create are so fantastic, and the way they 
behave, being part of a community, bringing other people in. It's just, it's invaluable. Yeah. Uh, I would never be where I was without uh, that community of amazing creators that, that came before me and, and taught me how to do what I do. So it really is amazing when you see someone like that pass, you just think, wow, like that, you know, how, how fortunate we were to have their work and, and, and how lucky we are to be in this kind of a community. Yeah, yeah. And there was even an article, uh, I believe, in The Guardian uh, this weekend. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to mess up what the actual headline was, but it was essentially like, you know, D&D and role-playing is, is good, but can it save the world? <laughs> uh, and uh, the, the person writing the article is basically saying it could because of all of the empathy and, uh, you know, generally just being in someone else's shoes uh, that is so core to what this hobby is all about. Uh, that if if more people did that, uh, we're more empathetic. We're more feeling and about you know uh, a building of those community bridges that uh, you know the world would be a better place. And I I, I really can't argue with that. Uh, so thank you guys for being a part of that community and, yeah. and, and creating stuff within it. Uh, and uh, want you if uh, yeah, Claudia, want you tell us exactly where people can find you online and learn more about uh, your work and where to buy prints. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> uh, so you can find me at my uh, website. It's uh, claudioposes.com, C-L-A-U-D-I-O-P-O-Z-A-S.com. There's a link there for my social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and a link to my two uh, stores, one in, uh, uh, in print, where you can buy D&D prints, like a gigantic white plume mountain map or the diagram of the planes, and there's a link to my Society6 store where you can buy other prints or you can buy apparel like the shirt I'm wearing right now, <laughs> armor t-shirts with uh, all uh, printed all over with uh, plate armor, uh, uh, leather armor, chain mail, which are also a big hit during the convention season. Awesome. What about you, Teos? Uh, I'm often on Twitter at AlphaStream, and by often I mean kind of always. Uh, <laughs> and then I also blog in and around my projects uh, at alphastream.org. And so I talk a lot about my campaigns and dungeon mastering and conventions. Uh, and if you ever want to hang out, the best place to do it is the Winter Fantasy Convention. I am usually at Origins uh, and sometimes at Gen Con. Uh, but Winter Fantasy is a small, uh, a smaller kind of convention where it's very D&D focused and it affords a great opportunity to kind of hang out and talk and play together. Very cool. Uh, I'll be at, uh, at the uh, Tio's mentioned conventions. I'll be at the Gen Con Art Show okay. in Indianapolis in the first weekend of August. So it's the only time I'll be in the U.S. this year. So anyone who want to come by and buy all my stuff, you're more than welcome. Okay. You'll want to so carry I'll it all give, home. Yeah. Give, if Shelly if is there, I'll give her a, a free sketch my because God. we go way back. Now I'm going to be there. Nice. Yeah, you have to hear our origin I don't get a free story. sketch, but, no. but I'll, I'll look at yours. If, you, if you're there, Greg, if you're there, I'll draw uh, Pennywise as Greg. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, what's the deal with the class clown thing? 
we we talked about it in the last uh, podcast oh. that went live, and then uh, and then he immediately uh, Claudio immediately went to Pennywise, which I was like, nah, I'm not sure that's what I was going for, but oh no, <laughs> too late. It's all I see now when I look at you. It's yeah, I, big red <laughs> balloon. Yeah, and I'll just uh, I'll get some sharp teeth, and it'll be crazy. Well, thank you guys so much uh, uh, for coming on to talk to us. I like, like I said, I love everything that you're doing, yep. and uh, uh, it's it's a big uh, a facet of what Dungeons Dragons is all about. So. Yes. I uh, can't wait to hear more, and yeah, we'll talk to you guys uh, again soon. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us, man. No worries. Thanks. Bye, Shelly. Bye, Greg. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, Bye Tails. Yeah. Bye, Claudio. I love them. Don't go. I love Don't them. Don't go. Please stay here forever <laughs> and ever. They're so good. They are really good. And they, I, li- I didn't even realize that as I was booking this, I was I, I, that they were, oh, one is the words and the adventures, and the other is it's like the you images. I know. I thought they knew each other. It's kind of... <laughs> Well, they got to meet each other. We got. But we, now we, they could be we playing together. Facilitated a meet cute. It is uh, live on air. On Dragon talk. Yeah. Um. Well, so, what Claudio showed that awesome image. Yeah. Of Oso de la Fez. Yes. Way back when I had a character named Tabitha. Uh huh. And I was writing a column for Dragon, called Confessions of a Full Time Wizard. Yes. And I remember she this had her, um, you do? I do. Her familiar was Oso de la Fez, and he was a retired show bear that she rescued Aww. from like a life of enslavement. No way. And he would follow her around, and he would walk on, on his big rubber ball, and he was just a bear with, wearing a fez. And the DM was like, okay, fine. <laughs> I guess you can have this familiar. And then John Shinahedi, who was the art director at the time, yeah. had asked a bunch of artists. He would he would do like these kind of regular challenges, right? And a challenge came up, and he said, "Draw Oso de la Fez." And this amazing art came in for him. Aww. And then he actually is still he somebody statted him, and he became a familiar. No way that you can actually still find. That's cool. Yes. Nice. And Claudia was the one that did the artwork for it. Yeah, he was. What he he took the time to submit beautiful artwork for Oso, <sighs> which I'm sure I still have because it was amazing. That is really cool. I mean, it was like uh, this is my fake bear that I made up, and now like these real, honest to god artists took the time to draw him and bring him to life. Aww, it was amazing. I can't stop awing about that because it's it's really sweet. cute, right? It is very sweet. I know that was really one of the coolest. You know what you should do. Ever. Um, and uh, I'm sure you have to ask Claudia's permission for this, but there is this uh, service where you can send in artwork, and they will and make, make a, an animal. They'll make a stuffed <gasps> bear from it. So maybe you could actually get a real physical. Also, I'll get two. I'll send one to you, Claudio. That'd be really cool. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, great. Right. Great. Feel good. I feel good all around. Good. (laughs) Well, uh, those of you uh, who are listening, you may still be able to get a chance at uh, the awesome hoodie that I'm wearing right now, uh, which has uh, artwork and a funny caption, which is, "I've got 99 problems, but the lich ain't one." Yeah. Uh, This is available only on Loot Crate. Uh, You have to get the XL package. Uh, It's available only until 9 p.m. Pacific time on April 19th. Uh oh. Uh, But you subscribe to the uh, Loot Crate XL, and you will get this exact hoodie. I believe it's the only way you're going to be able to get it, other than 
Uh, from your desk. Being yes, or from Hillary's desk, as the case may be. You have to give that back to her. <laughs> I do have to give this back to her, and I stopped sweating, so I think it's okay. Okay, I think I'm all right. The temperature did the temperature did normalize, and everything's okay. Uh, mostly because we had two cool cats. On oh, the podcast. that's true. They're so chill. That's they right. Cooled everything down. That's right. I like it. Shelly, how can people find out about what you're doing? Well, you could go follow Avalon Hill on the Facebooks and the Twitter. Twitter is Avalon Hill Two, the number two. And on Facebook, I think it's just Avalon Hill Games. And you can find me at Shelly Moo on Twitter because I talk about it, too. Awesome. Yeah. And you? I'm Greg Tito on the Twitters, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And if you want to find out about this crazy game that we talk about, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Oh, intuitive. Uh, Or you can check out DragonMag.com for the bi-monthly issues of Dragon Plus. Yep. Or get that Dragon Plus app on your Phone. Take it with you. Android, iOS, uh, and on the web, as I said. Uh, it is great. Uh, lots of fun stuff uh, in go. there and free maps, free uh, uh, adventures. Uh, one of the and most recent ones was written by uh, uh, Neverwinter's lead designer. Yeah. That's right. A man of many talents. A man of very many talents. Uh, so go jump in and, and, uh, and check that out. Beautiful covers. Art directed by uh, Shauna Wolf Narciso. She's awesome. She is awesome. Uh, as are all of our guests and all of our listeners. You guys are all awesome. And Ryan and Pelham, too. Everyone is awesome. Everyone is awesome. Thank you, guys. I think that's it. Okay. You want to knock it over? You do it. Seriously? You do it. Rocks fall, everyone. Die! Yeah!